Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Virginia. Events over recent years have highlighted racial inequalities across the globe, and Australia is not an exception. Here at Broad Talk, we recognise that the path towards true reconciliation is the responsibility of all of us, all the time. In that spirit, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we record this podcast, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. We've been through a tough couple of years. What the hell happened? Pressures are real. The fuel price increases are real. Women are so deeply aggrieved and angry. You have to think about this as a father first. And if that doesn't make you angry, you are not paying attention. It is his way or the highway. I know our country can do better. He was an intimidating bully. A menacing, controlling wallpaper. Such marches, even now, are being met with bullets. We still have so much work to do. Call the election. Call it now. What am I doing right now? Let the people of Australia decide. Jenny has a way of clarifying things. Let's make some noise, Australia! Hello and welcome to Broad Talk. And if you're joining us after listening to most of this series on election 2022, you will know that um, it's been quite a ride. I want to start off by thanking Jill Marsh, Gillian Marsh, who sat in for me last week while I was uh, lucky enough to be in the warm climes of Fiji on an aid and a development delegation with Save the Children, DFAT, which was absolutely fascinating. And we'll talk more about that at some other time. But uh, Jill, thank you for for stepping in and she did a marvellous job. And uh, my thanks also to Sally Moyle and Helen Daly fisher who joined her. Well, this week is a really tough one because we are recording this episode of Broad Talk just before the election, a day or so before the election. So my guests and I have just been trying to get our heads around how do we how do we tackle this? But what we're all very, very keen to talk about at this stage is what has this election campaign meant for us or for the women of Australia and what does it say about us as a nation? And what does it say about the role and place of women and women's voices and, and women's issues uh, in the, in I guess, the list of what really matters when it comes to political leadership in this country? So to discuss this, I'm joined by a fabulous group of women who I've been so looking forward to getting together and I can't believe we've finally done it. 
Let me introduce you to Jess Hill, who really does need no introduction. But Jess is, of course, a multi-award winning journalist. She's perhaps best known for her really powerful investigative work on gendered violence. Um, Her excellent Stella Prize winning book, See What You Made Me Do, was developed into a documentary series on SBS uh, and an outstanding podcast series, The Trap. Um, Jess has worked across a number of media platforms. She's worked for the ABC. She was a foreign correspondent, a Middle East foreign correspondent for the Global Mail. Um, She's done all sorts of things. And, in fact, I did an event with um, Jess at ANU earlier this year to launch her quarterly essay called The Reckoning, and I described her then as a real journalist's journalist in that she's such an all-rounder. Jess, welcome, and I just want to ask you very quickly, how are you feeling, just literally asleep away from the election, polling day? How are you feeling? Sick. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that, Jess? I, I actually, I think that there's probably a num- anyone who's paying attention, no matter what they're hoping for on Saturday, is probably feeling sick um, because <laughs> everything hangs in the balance, um, I think. And for for various reasons, this is a critical election. You know, for for liberal supporters who are looking at um, the possible wipeout of a lot of their their moderate MPs and their you know current treasurer, perhaps that that's that's a sickening prospect of the the, the Liberal Party losing those people and and perhaps even getting to a point where it splits or something quite dramatic happens. I think for people who are hoping for a change of government, they have got PTSD from 2019 um, <laughs> and um, and probably won't even believe it when Anthony Green says the election um, has been decided. So, yeah, just generally sick but also a very keen sense personally having been a very close traveller in the um, in the women's issues um, of last year and certainly for many years before that, um, that the the anger that we saw last year that spilled into the streets and has been, I think, quite directed quite potently into a lot of the female independence campaigns, that that anger could really turn to bitterness if this if we don't see a change of government um, and and a sense of impotence and powerlessness. And for the women's movement, um, you know, as diverse as that is, and it's not one coherent group, that um, I think is a dangerous place, especially with sexual violence and family violence rates, reported rates going through the roof. Look, that that's such an important point, and we'll come back to that because I want to hear what everyone's got to say about that issue. Carol Schwartz is also joining us. Now, Carol A.O. is is also probably someone, um, particularly if you're from the business community in Australia, who needs no introduction. But Carol is one of Australia's most dynamic business and community leaders. And she's had an incredibly diverse career across property, the arts, finance, investment, entrepreneurship, government and health. She holds numerous board positions, she including a seat on the board of the Reserve Bank of Australia, the Chihuahua Group, and she's chair of E. QT Holdings. Carol's always been a passionate advocate for gender equality and women in leadership, and she spearheaded the Women's Leadership Institute Australia. And she's catalyzed a range of initiatives um, across the board that have really helped work at, at, at building the critical mass of women in politics, in business, um, and in media. And in fact, she's been responsible for the only media, women in media report that Australia has produced which in itself is extraordinary. Uh, she's the powerhouse behind the very successful program Pathways 
to politics or pathway to politics, I should say, which is an, edu- an education and excellent mentoring um, scheme, which in fact has, has, has been going for some years now and, ha- and has seen a number of women elected to parliaments across Australia. Carol, in a nutshell, how are you feeling at the moment? Just, just you know, a day, a sleep away from polling results. I'm actually feeling a little bit, a little bit shocked with the the manner in which this campaigning is ta- is is being carried out. It's it's actually it's actually been quite presidential. I mean, I'm wondering why all we're seeing is other two leaders, uh, Anthony Albanese and Scott Morrison. Where are the teams behind these people, right? Because as Australians, aren't we electing a team of people as opposed to a president? And uh, I've been quite shocked with the lack of access that we've been having to the teams. And uh, and I don't like this sort of trend because I think that it is following a an American style of politics, if you like, which I do not think suits Australians. So I've been really, really shocked and actually quite disappointed because I think we need to see the team of people that we're actually electing rather than a, you know, a principal leader. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And again, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, I, I, I've got to say, I really agree with that. And it worries me enormously. We're seeing that presidential style in the advertising as well, I think. Um, but before we go much further, I must bring in Nikki Gemmell. Now, Nikki is one of our favourite Australian authors whose sharp and beautifully sensitive eye has navigated the cultural and social landscape of our nation for the past couple of decades. Now, Nikki is the author of 17 books, uh, fiction and non-fiction. Her acclaim around the world, and, I, and I, I look, I'm sure this will make Nikki blush by me saying it, but it's true. Her claim around the world is so phenomenal that um, even the even the French, even the French, uh, have cited her as one of the most influential, important writers of this century. And I've got to say, I first encountered Nikki um, with her uh, 2003 novel *Ride Stripped Bear*, and which was explosive and really sort of shot her to international fame and was my, well, yeah, my awakening to Nikki Gemmell. I've been reading her ever since and I've got to say her her weekly column in the Australian magazine for me and our household is a must read and if you don't read it, you should. Um, it's always balm for my soul. If you're feeling if you're feeling anxious about what's going on in the world, read Nikki's column um, because you'll find you're not alone. Nikki, welcome. How are you feeling at the moment? <laughs> Thank you so much, Virginia. Thank you for that gorgeous introduction, and and it's so wonderful to be a part of this fabulous podcast. Look, I'm feeling really anxious, um, just in terms of you know it's been a really grubby, nasty uninspiring campaign and I just want it over I want it out of my head I I voted last uh, you know last week thinking (laughs) I would be able to get it out of my head I can't I'm learning the lessons from the last election campaign when I relied too much on the Twitterverse and the very small metropolitan world that I live in and got a very big shock on an election night, you know, 2019, when I realised we are a very small part of this nation and um, there is a huge volume of voters out 
there that um, journalists just aren't tapping into what they're thinking. And I'll be fascinated to see what happens this time around. I look at young people. Among them, there seems to be a real desire for vision and change within this nation of ours. But will that result in a change of government? Who knows? We have yet to see. Well, yes, that's right. Um, We, yes. (laughs) I know some of you are going to be listening to this episode after the election result is known. So we're going to keep it fairly broad. But, yes, it's really interesting recording this just beforehand because what I'm hearing from you all is what I'm hearing from everyone around me, this heightened sense of anxiety. Let's come back to before we we talk about that really important issue of violence against women and, quite frankly, the lack of this discussion throughout the the campaign. I'll come back to, Carol, what you said about the campaign focusing on just two men. Um, I've covered as a journalist, uh, I, I can't even count how many election campaigns, and I don't think I've ever seen an election campaign, be it state or federal, that has so focused on just two people. Mm. And I have been watching, and it, it, so it, it's not an excuse to say, oh, well, that's only what the media shows you. I've been watching, reading, listening to everything, and I'm just not seeing the people I thought we would see. I'm not seeing attorney generals or foreign ministers, ministers for women, totally absent, um, and the shadows, to be frank, I, I'm seeing very little of. In fact, nothing. Yeah, but can I ask you one thing about that, Virginia, because... The three of you know media much better than I. And I have actually, I've asked this question and I've been told it's actually because the media ignores everybody else, that they are actually campaigning out there. They are actually there in the community. Oh, relentlessly. Yeah, and uh, but the media is not interested. The media is interested in honing in on the leaders um, is that correct? Can I can I suggest a theory I, that I think you know because this um, election is very much seen as a referendum on Scott Morrison, so that and so the media is very interested in how Scott Morrison is going to try to save himself um, from his current status as being seemingly widely um, disliked and untrustworthy. And on the flip side of that, you have a relatively new leader for most of Australians who is is unknown. So um, it doesn't surprise me so much that, A, the media has been interested in this very two-man race because it is a very much of like which man will you choose because it is such a referendum on Scott Morrison um, and because people would have a um, a deep interest in getting to know who um, Anthony Albanese is. Yeah, but so- doesn't find that, that a little bit strange, Jess and, and Nikki and Virginia, I mean, the three of you have been covering politics for such a long time. Anthony Albanese has been in politics for 30 years. Mm. How could he be unknown? He was uh, the deputy leader under uh, Kevin Rudd, I think. Um, how, but how he's been, how they've been out of government for 10 years too, Carol. I think, you know, so. yeah, I, I, I agree with Jess, um, but I also think that let's not forget that that we are seeing an election campaign here now that is is driven by media platforms that didn't exist in previous uh, election campaigns. I mean, yes, of course, we had social media in 2019, but not at the level 
that we're seeing now. So there's a slightly different manner of control. But also Scott Morrison's modus operandi has always been very singular. The last election he fought as him alone, the man you don't know, um, so it was. It was all you know. He was. It was. He was the new boy and had done nothing wrong. Um, therefore, we just had to get to know him. But he he has driven his campaign in a very singular manner. You know, all the big issues where he could have been bringing in his ministers, and we're not talking about shadows here, but ministers, foreign minister around the Solomons. Where was she? You know, I, I mean, there have been so many issues where. He has taken the running himself and consequently that sets up a response by Labor in which they have to put forward their top man as well. So I think there's been a bit of that. But also I don't entirely buy the argument people saying, oh, look, they're all out there, the media is just not paying attention. I think that uh, because of the tightness of this election too and the anxiety around it and the power of independence in a lot of these seats, uh, a lot of the the players and the sitting members, um, including government members, have gone back to their electorates and are working harder than they ever have to be visible in their electorate for, and, and trying to, to appear very, very local, I think. And I think also, Carol, the media often goes for um, simple, strong stories and then they all follow like little shoals of fish and they all go for that story. So in terms of the teal independence this election, that's a good, strong colourful story that looks great in pictures. So the media is going to go for that. So it hasn't just been about two people. And I actually think that the teal independence, that the women contesting this election and also perhaps even more importantly, the women voting in this election, particularly professional women, are going to be hugely interesting and in terms of how what way this election falls and I think um, we had a recent you know across the front pages of newspaper a recent an image of um, Scott Morrison falling over a little eight-year-old boy on a soft pitch <laughs> in Tasmania there were a lot of women around me who just went oh that reminds me who that man is and that might change a few votes in terms of what women have seen of Scott Morrison and how he has conducted his campaign in terms of women over the last three years, um, you know, bulldozing yes through situations involving Brittany Higgins or Grace Tame or the rest of it. The energy was in that that was in that bulldozing moment yesterday was the energy that has characterised a lot of how he has treated women or perceived to have treated women over the last three years. Has it surprised all of you that there hasn't been uh, a a considerable focus, or in fact is from where I said any focus really, on women's anger uh, and, of course, women and violence as, as a pivotal central issue? I mean, given what we've all endured and watched with horror over the last couple of years, uh, particularly under the Morrison government, even this, you know, right back to 2018. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. But I actually, I've been reading some articles where gender equality and gender issues are way down the list of priorities that people people are thinking about, that the electorate is thinking about. So it goes to Nikki's point before about 
the bubbles that we all may be living within and what we're prioritising and what we think are major issues, which are not, you know, for other Australians top of mind at all. But the fact that we had 100,000 plus people come out on the street, men and women, uh, women and men, I should say, uh, on the street, it's not a main, it's not just a bubble issue. It, this is a mainstream issue now. Well, do you think that 100,000 out of 26 million is is uh, mainstream and not a bubble? Well I, well, I say, I've always said for, you know, everyone that comes out on the street, there's probably 100 that, that, that don't, that would want to, that for various reasons can't or, or would never actually do that, but that that are sympathisers. I might be wrong about that. But, Jess, what do you think? You, in fact, you, you were there. You gave, you know, an explosive speech. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect it to be in the top five of election issues, but I would have expected journalists just to ask a few questions about it because it dominated the headlines so completely and is one of the definitive themes of the Morris, Morrison's last term of government, you know, like um, but... What I think is there's a confluence of factors here. A, gendered violence um, wants to be forgotten and, you know, perpetrators themselves promote the art of forgetting. It's uh, something the psychiatrist Judith Herman says memorably. Um, victims ask us to remember and share in their pain. Sharing in their pain is actually quite tiring. And so, so I think for some people they feel tired um, by all of the talk about this, tired, maybe triggered, um, maybe um, annoyed, angered, and during an election campaign, parties don't want to focus on issues that will be divisive unless that division, as seen with the trans issue this election campaign, can perhaps produce votes in critical seats. And the fact is the way that on a federal level particularly, but really, I mean, in all politics, no one's ever thought of gendered violence as an election issue and the only time it has been an election issue has been in Victoria after the murder of Luke Batty um, and the advocacy of Rosie Batty where the Andrews government um, campaigned very large on gendered violence, had a royal commission into family violence, backed the the sector um, and police and health to the tune of many billions of dollars, more than all of the states and federal governments combined, and it was resoundingly popular. So, But I think that there's a real groove that journalists get into, which is all about cost of living um, in terms of when they're reporting on any election campaign, Um, and there's been a distinct lack of creativity, I think a lot of people have noticed in this campaign, um, both from politicians and from the media. And I think Still, despite the incredible leadership shown by some journalists like Laura Tingle, Sam Maiden, um, Catherine Murphy, Louise Milligan, many um, who are reporting on this election um, on the issue of gendered violence, there's just such a resistance to make it relevant to the mainstream. It's not seen as serious. It's not seen as a serious policy issue in the same way that the economy is. It's extraordinary how this election has been so focused on the economy and what you get. What it, you it get always in is. your pocket. Yeah, yeah, but so, so much. No, no, I agree with Jess on that, Virginia. I mean, what what shocks me about about I guess the vox pops that you hear is how much self interest there is in 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 the electors. They they they're looking for what's in it for me, as opposed to 
what is going to enhance us as a society? I mean, I, I really can't believe it. You know, we where where are the conversations and the about climate change? Where are the conversations about a gender equality? Where are the conversations about what is going to make us the best society we possibly can be? Climate change. I mean, you know, we could be a leader in renewables. Well, you know, it's there, there are such exciting innovations that Australia could be involved with. And and yet people are thinking about, well, you know, where are my tax cuts and, and how is that going to play out for me? And what all of that says about us as a nation and how this, this positions us in on the global stage too is something I want to come back to. But we're just going to take a quick break. Back in a moment. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back. What does this election in 2022 campaign tell us about the nation that we live in and the sort of society that we are? Nikki, I want to throw this one to you as, as someone who has been such a sharp observer of, of our culture and, and both here but also from the benefit of being outside um, and living as an expat for quite some time. What does this say about our nation? Look, I feel like Australia has lost its mojo. Um, you know, there's a desire among many people for an Australia that is confident and excited and impatient for its future once again. But at the moment, our mood seems to be riven and fractious, angry and frustrated. Where are the fresh ideas? You know, as Carol was saying, we're reckless with our beauty and our riches. To overseas people, we're seen as that place with the dead reefs and, you know, we lock up the refugees. There are bushfires, there are floods. They're the things that make the international news. It feels like this beautiful, beautiful continent that we are blessed to live on is a Cassandra for climate change. But our politicians just willfully won't see it and our journalists won't ask the questions about it. But I feel like for we as an electorate, our muscle memory is strong and in terms of this issue and also in terms of our memory of what has gone on with women and the Morrison government over the last three years, I think there's a seething unease that the media isn't perhaps picking up. And um, 
I just feel like, you know, we once had exuberance on the world stage, now we have defensiveness, and this year feels like a chance for a great reset, a government of vision if we can. I don't know that we're getting those kind of messages from either of the main parties, though. I think they're playing it very safe. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, all right. Um, Nikki, you wrote an amazing, a beautiful column along these lines um, in the Australian, I think it was earlier this year, and you even quoted the, the fabulous um, Caitlin Moran who was lamenting the, the end of Neighbours, um, the fact that that was, you know, once this fabulous program run in the UK, I must have been, I was over there when at times when it was playing and I got so sick of people wanting, they hear you Australian want to talk about Neighbours. But even that represented a sort of a, a, a dying of interest in Australia, didn't it? It did, it did. You know, when I was living in the UK from um, 96, 97 onwards through for the next 14, 15 years, there was a real excitement about Australia. We'd come back off the Keating years, which there was that mature reckoning in terms of our Indigenous past, the Redfern speech, that kind of thing. Indigenous issues, that's something that has barely been raised, this election campaign. In terms of the statement from the heart, um, you know, Labor is saying this is our one of our huge priorities, nothing really from the LNP. That was a huge galvanizing, galvanizing moment for the nation. It felt mature and it felt exciting. Our film industry was going great guns in terms of Priscilla and Strictly Ballroom, all those kind of films. Now we have an arts industry that's decimated. In so many areas, Australia seems to have lost its confidence on the world stage. You know, once upon a time we had a prime minister who wore Xenia suits <laughs> and um, put his arm cheekily around the Queen. Now we have a prime minister who's proudly a Sharkies fan and wears a baseball cap and, you know, the French president calls him a liar. It's a different tone on the world stage that we have in Australia. And it's basically, you know, do we want another three years of this? Despite uh, Morrison saying that he's going to change, I don't know if he gets in, well, what incentive is there to change? And um, I just think it's it's really interesting in terms of the people who want a soul-stirring vision of a reset for Australia, and those who are very happy just to bump along. I can't tell which one is in the ascendant at the moment. Well, let's just flip the switch a bit. And as I said, uh, we are recording this episode of Broad Talk just asleep before the election poll result. But let's flip the switch to we wake up, there's a new government, there's a new dawn, whatever that government might be. Every Every new government is a fresh start of sorts. So what do we want to see this new government do, regardless of who it is? What, what are the opportunities? What are the things that if it was any of us sitting around that cabinet table, we would be wanting to steer the new government towards? Now, Jess, I'm going to throw that to you first and foremost because I reckon you might have a few ideas. What do you <laughs> want to see this, a, a new government, a fresh start do and focus on gosh there is a lot it feels like there's a lot of catching up to do I feel like there's been a distinct lack of governing um over the last term of 
of government. You know, often people say things like, oh, you know, Morrison just refuses to lead on women's issues. I'm like, well, you just put a full stop after refuses to lead just generally. <laughs> you know, that's just not his thing. It, and it's not even necessarily seen by him as a criticism <laughs> in the sense that he's sort of like that whole idea of like not being real, that you need small government or, or kind of no government or as little government as possible. Um, so, look, you know, I guess I can speak from my own area of, um, of focus, which is to say that we are at a real tipping point for two major reforms and reform periods. So I think we have to see the respect at work recommendations um, brought about, especially the positive duty on employers to um, prevent sexual harassment. And, you know, this really promises to change um, the approach from employers much as um, when they had a legal obligation to prevent workplace injury suddenly made OH&S issues front of mind for employers of all kinds, um, large and small. So this is that is a massive paradigm shift that is just sitting in that um, Respect at Work report. Labor and the Greens have agreed to endorse 55, all 55 of the recommendations. The Coalition so far only 42 and not the positive duty, uh, most critically. We're also, on July 1, we'll see the next decade-long national plan to reduce violence against women and children come into effect. A lot of the work has been done on that in terms of setting up the plan. There's been a draft released. It got pretty universally panned for being closer to a pamphlet than an actual action plan. Um, But, you know, whoever comes into government is going to need to set targets in this plan as different to the last plan. It's going to need to say exactly how much are we trying to cut domestic homicide by, for example. Um, what are our metrics going to be when we um, that we shoot for when we ask victim survivors, did they get a satisfactory response from services? Did they get, um, you know, the kind of help they needed when they needed it? Did they get a good response from police if that's the avenue they chose? So these these two things, respect at work and the national plan, um, for me are critical. The third one in that gendered violence space, but it goes across so many different portfolios, is housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, we need Labor to be more ambitious on housing. Coalition is not ambitious on housing much at all at the moment. Labor has a, um, has a I think it was a $10 billion plan for housing, for building a new housing, it's still nowhere near what people what people in that sector say is required. And it's not even close to what we used to build for social housing um, every year. I remember one of the um, really salient stats when I was researching for See What You Made Me Do was that the waiting list for public housing or for housing in South Australia was 20,000 people long and the number of public housing um, that had been removed out of the system in recent years was 20,000. You know, like so, like it literally, it's a it's a problem that we've created, mm. um, and so these are. But I mean, that's not to mention the gigantic and very quick steps we have to take, not just on climate, but on adapting our economy to to meet the new world order. Um, and you know, a lot of conspiracy theorists will hear different things in that term, but it's true. You know, this <laughs> the world is changing and Australia is going to be left behind. And it can be, and we can go from being an energy superpower to a laggard nation without a firm economy, you know, within a, the space of a few years. Now, Jess, I am already thinking 
one election ahead and I know you're in the seat of Wentworth and I want you to run. <laughs> She's <What's> gone <laughs> blank. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead to the next election. I want you to run. You've just oh, you given want me us to a, run? Yes, oh, you've just given us a great stump speech. Yeah, she, can do our, she can do our Pathways to Politics for Women course. Jess, yeah. we're right behind you. It's not um it's 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 not something that hasn't crossed my mind if I can use a double negative to completely confuse everyone. Uh, yeah, um, and but, I, um, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Carol, what about you? Just flipping that switch to okay, a new government in place. What do you what do you want to see over this? Well, the first thing that I want to see and you know this has been my mantra for decades now is I first the first thing I want to see is women sharing power, leadership and decision making. Because I, I absolutely believe that we, if we had women sharing power, decision-making and leadership, it would be addressing so many of the issues that Jess has so rightly raised. But let's not forget that we need a critical mass of women in those positions for a period of time. The fact is that we have had men create the institutions and the infrastructure that have supported their leadership for centuries and for us to be in there for for five minutes, even a critical mass, is not going to be able to, if you like, break down the status quo in the way it needs to be broken down. So I think that we need to ensure that we have a critical mass of women in those positions of power, sharing decision-making and leadership for as much time as we possibly can so that we can actually bring about the sort of institutional changes that we need to make to the social infrastructure that that men have put in place. Can I just jump in there, Carol? I I want to, on this very point, and look, again, considering, you know, a new government, new parliament, the issue of quotas, because I know this is something you have spoken on very well in the past. And in fact, I, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, I recently was in um, Fiji on this aid and development delegation. And one of the things I did was meet with uh, Fijian journalists, women journalists, and uh, discussing with them the issues they have very similar to, to women journalists in Australia. But the issue came up of leadership and lack of leadership in in key decision-making roles and editorial roles and what have you. And I started talking about quotas and it was quite interesting, the response. Now, we have an opportunity, do we not, in a new government to institute quotas across the board for a number of things. What do you you think? Well, I mean... for me, I would I would definitely introduce quotas into into politics. I mean, the fact is that that Parliament is meant to represent the people, right? We have a, mi- a minimum fifty percent of of our population of female. In fact, slightly more than fifty percent. I think that we should have a representative Parliament, and if we need quotas to make sure that happens. Well, bring it on. How do, you, um, how do you explain, though, when people say to you, oh, but I don't want to be a token, I'm afraid of being a token? But it, that's rubbish. That's rubbish. I mean, there's nothing tokenistic about creating a new type of status quo that makes sense. It's complete rubbish. And, you know, as, as you know, we've heard the old sayings, when we have as many mediocre women as we have mediocre <laughs> men in these positions of power, we will have true equality. The next thing, though, that I think that we need to do when we have a new government of whatever persuasion is we need to focus on education, 
right? And that includes early childhood education. It includes our primary and secondary education and it includes our tertiary education. I mean, if we have a look at the results that we're getting now from our NAP plans and everything else that benchmarks us against what's going on in the rest of the world, we are not doing well. Mm -hmm. We are not doing well. And I find that incredibly discouraging and, and, and upsetting. We need to have the smartest people as part of our society. That's the way we're going to be able to address all the issues that we're talking about. And, and I also think we need to focus on reinvigoration of the, of the public service. Mm-hmm. Some of our best and brightest are in our public service. The bureaucrats there with their, you know, have a wealth of knowledge and, and, and are able to advise politicians of all persuasions as to the best sort of policies that, that would help us progress as a nation. And when I hear about cuts to the public service, I have to say it sends shivers down my spine because I do not think that that is good policy or good practice whatsoever. And the other thing that I would focus on, and I guess it's it's sort of tangential to um, education, is entrepreneurship and innovation. I think Australians are, at in their essence, incredibly creative and entrepreneurial, but it's not encouraged because we have a terrible inability to deal with failure. And uh, I think that this is the risk aversion and the fear of failure absolutely overcomes our willingness to be entrepreneurial and innovative, and I think that that's something that also has to be addressed. Oh, Carol, that is such a dynamite subject. I think we're going to have to get you back to talk about that because I think that that is so it's so so very true, but also it's it's a complex and complex and and Virginia, do you know do you know how innovative and entrepreneurial our women are? Unbelievable. Mm. I mean, one of the things that I do is invest in women entrepreneurs. We have brilliant women entrepreneurs out there, but they're probably not thinking big enough. They don't think about world domination because I think that within the Australian context, we make everyone a little bit too anxious about about failing. So we all need to be thinking about world domination. Why not? Now, we're going to run out of time, but Nikki, I want to come back to you for that final question. Mm -hmm. New government, new era, new parliament, what do you want to say? I just want to see a government of compassion and caring, a government that looks out for all of us, not just some of us. I mean, late in the campaign, um, Labor's released its costings and it says that its largest election costing commitments are in childcare and aged care. And I think that is a great start, particularly in terms of childcare. You know, just personally speaking for me, when I had my four kids going through childcare, you know, it was, I think it was $105 a day, which I wasn't quite earning that anyway. It's now up to $180 a day in terms of childcare. It stops so many women from re-entering the workforce. And I'm sick of these Band-Aid solutions and, yes, we'll have another inquiry and, yes, we'll kick it into the long grass. I think a government, as Carol, as you're saying, bring more women into Cabinet. We need more women in leadership politically because then the focus 
will change, you know, in terms of do we need more bases and more submarines when we have these pressing problems of care and compassion in female-dominated industries. And I think tackling childcare is a huge one. And I would also like to see a government with an amazingly dynamic arts minister who can put some rocket fuel in terms of funding up our arts industry because they are crying out for it. Oh, absolutely. Our arts and our, our cultural institutions, and I've got to say, as someone who sits in Canberra and people tend to poo-poo Canberra and the cultural interest, institutions as if they are somehow privileged, but um, quite frankly, I, over the last 20 years I've been here, I've watched them all, all become somewhat decimated except the War mm-hmm. Memorial. Hmm. Except the war memorial, but the rest I've just seen stripped back and stripped back and stripped back to to the point where I don't know how some of them are operating. Anyway, unfortunately, look, we could go on talking forever, and I I have just so loved hearing from all of you and 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 talking with you. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. I um, it, it's interesting that all of you, all of us, myself included, feel very anxious about not just the polling date, but um. I think the government ahead, uh, it it's feels like, as all of you have expressed, a very critical time in Australia's history, a, a, a pivotal time where, as Nikki has outlined, we've sort of really lost our mojo and if we don't pick it up now in this, the term of this government, will we ever get it back? I want to thank you for listening and please continue to reach out and tell us what you think. You can always find us on Insta at Broad Talkers. You can find us on Twitter at Talk Broad or me, Virginia underscore house, A-T-U-S-S. You can email us at hello at broadtalk.net and I'm very excited to announce thanks to Martin and endless late nights and no sleep, we finally have a website uh, broadtalk.net and that will be live and waving its hands at you in just a moment and uh, please jump on and you can listen to any of the episodes from the various series of, of broadtalk.net um, well, is where you'll find it any of our series you can contact us through that um, I'll be running a, a regular blog on that and if you subscribe please do subscribe because that way you, you fall into our um, email system and when we've got something to tell you We'll let you know. So please do jump on board and uh, join us on broadtalk.net. But thank you for joining us for this episode and uh, fingers crossed, legs crossed, may your choice of government have come to fruition and may we all be feeling very happy and content (laughs) post-election and, um, gosh, I just hope so and I hope that we're all feeling a little bit more relaxed This time next week, and by the way, we do have a wrap-up session of Broad Talk for this series late next week with some fabulous um, guest commentators, so do join me for that. In the meantime, you know what to do. Keep talking. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.